0: You're listening to Toronto's number one real estate podcast, powered by Watson Estates. The most successful local real estate investing starts right here, right now. Here's your host, broker, investor, and social media influencer, Bradley Watson. Good morning, investors. Bradley here from Watson Estates, and you're listening to the largest fast-growing podcast for Toronto real estate on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Friends, today is Monday, October 19th. It's a wonderful day to talk about that subject, and I'm glad you're here. We like to have lots of fun as a realtor and an investor. Here in the GTA, I want to know for my own portfolio, what is going on what is happening in our market, and where are there going to be opportunities for me and my portfolio and my clients in the next little while? So, today we're going to have a good time. We're going to talk about some of the major news coming out and maybe some of the stuff you haven't even heard about. Starting off with Will the second wave burst the Toronto real estate bubble? This is the article of the day from Toronto Sun. We're going to start there. We're going to work our way through. We actually, in my opinion, have the best information, the best detail as it relates to vacancy rates and the rent declines we've experienced in the GTA. I love this Urban Nation report that that came out and I'm gonna dive into that and share with you where are opportunities in the 905 and the 416 if you're looking to do any strategy that would require tenants. And what does the end of the Bank of Canada spending that is bond buying program mean for real estate prices? You might not even know that that happened. We're gonna talk a little bit about that. I don't know about you guys, I had a wonderful weekend. My mother-in-law is turning 65 this week, so we had a, a surprise birthday party for her. And so it's kind of a joint thing, 65, also retirement. When And when she blew out the candles, you know what? We chanted, you know what you say, like, speech, speech. Old folk don't know what that means. You're supposed to say something. But I'll tell you, that was a missed opportunity. If it were me, <laughs> a senior quote, I'd be ready with one, right? I'd be ready. Like I'd say something like, uh, as Rosa Parks said in 1955, nah. <laughs> or something along those lines. Obviously I'd have more time to think about it than putting as a as a an insert to a podcast talking about real estate. Come on. Come on. But we like to have fun here. Make sure if you haven't already subscribed to our channel, make sure you hit that like button. And it helps each individual video. Our videos are growing exponentially, not just on YouTube, but on the podcast platforms. It's incredible. In fact, our podcast channel is is larger than our YouTube channel. So we've had a lot of fun and I love having conversations with you guys either online or offline. Feel free to reach out to me anytime. So let's jump into the article of the day. I wanna try and transcribe it. I wanna explain it to you guys in more detail so you don't necessarily have to read those boring articles because we do it for you and we make it fun. (laughs) Here we go. Will the second wave of COVID burst Toronto's real estate bubble? This is the biggest article coming from the Toronto Sun. Here we go. Ever the hot topic, how the Toronto real estate market is faring seven months into the COVID-19 pandemic continues to fascinate. A lot has happened since that fateful Friday the 13th in March. Didn't realize it was even Friday the 13th. Now it makes sense. First, there was a market freeze up in the immediate aftermath of the lockdown. Remember that? In a matter of weeks, however, the buyers were back. Thanks in large part to the real estate industry pivoting to the more robust virtual marketing. Thank you for virtual marketing. Save the day. Not. <laughs> While implementing safety protocols to ensure showings could be conducted safely and responsibly. The reason that this all worked out was because we were deemed an essential service. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. We didn't have to close. And people realized, you know what? I can go shopping. That sounds like a pretty safe thing to do compared to all the other things that I'm not allowed to do right now. As spring progressed into summer, the sales figures continued to boggle the mind. Now, I like to jump through the article because I don't want to read all the fluff. I want the good stuff. They say this, buyers and sellers alike seem to share the belief that in the face of an all-but-guaranteed second wave, the time was now. All the while, the condo market was showing signs of distress. This is the biggest conversation right now in real estate. Not just in Toronto. We're going to see an article in a moment in Vancouver. Same story. Right There's key differences between these two markets. We're going to talk a little bit about that. In response to widespread job losses, particularly in the hospitality and service sector, universities classes moving online and short-term rental market being disseminated by the abrupt loss of tourism, the rental market was flooded with vacant downtown condos. It wouldn't be long, analysts predicted, until investors faced with uncertain returns started dumping their units. Oh, and dumping their units they've been doing. Oh, they've been doing that dumping. By the time September rolled around, the original mortgage deferral program ended. The condo market surged with new listings, and we've talked about this on our show. In fact, our last podcast was called this, a 215% increase over the last month last year. Sorry, that was actually the thumbnail, not the video title. But all that to say, condos are going crazy, crazy. But here is why I like this article. This is why, even though it's number one, that's not we don't put it because it's number one. If it doesn't add value to our listeners, I don't give a damn, but they do. Because they're going to talk about the future. I think it's important for us to talk about the different options. What comes next? What are the pros saying? You hear what I say all the time. I talk about my views on things a lot. you probably hear it again today. But what are other people saying? Other people with loud voices and smarter than myself are saying things like this. Here's what they say at the Toronto Sun. One might assume that this means the bubble has burst and a great correction is upon us, but the numbers don't yet support that condo prices are still up 7.7% over last year. Even the wake of the economic destruction brought on by a global pandemic, condos continue to sell, albeit at a slower pace than we're used to. There will be a dip, no doubt, but that surge of inventory is starting to absorb and we're not seeing many fire sales. This is the view from this writer at the Toronto Sun. Is that the case? I don't necessarily agree with that because yes, we're up 7.7%, but you guys know We are absolutely down from the highs that we experienced back in March, right? We know this. So yes, okay, you're up 20%. Now you're only up 7%. That sounds like a loss. That does sound like a loss. And yes, there are fire sales. Have no fear. We're gonna get to some other clues of that through this podcast. On the freehold front though, even that they say is starting to slow down. Interesting. Houses are selling for top dollar, yes. But for the most part, the crazed bidding wars seem to have abated pricing matters now. Houses that are properly priced sell quickly, but sellers who have unrealistic expectations are just as likely to see their properties sit. I'm gonna give you an example of that in a second. I see this in Twitter posts. Uh, I'll tell you most of the bidding wars from a buyer perspective. I'm noticing there's still a lot of them. So, but, but it is important to note that naturally you're starting to see less bidding wars. Is that a product of the market collapsing or is that a seasonal change? I think it's the latter. Anecdotally, it seems like things are slowing down. A number of the city's top agents are now advising their clients to hold off on listing their properties until the new year. I mean, why would they do that unless they think prices are gonna go up in the new year? So hidden under that, I think, is an honest acceptance that prices are going to go up into next year. Naturally, the season might be taking a hold beyond what I even, I even expected. Now, I don't expect price, the number of sales to go through the roof through the winter time, but I do expect prices to be held, which is unusual. That's unusual. But even if they don't, by the springtime, I'll tell you, will the second wave be as bad as some fear? Will there be another seize up or will the market just need another acclimation period? Will the rebound be as fast and fierce next time around? So many questions. And while the Toronto real estate market is a beast who has proven its resiliency over and again, only time will tell. Stay tuned. This is what they say. So this is what we think, but we don't know for sure. And the reality is, is even folks like me that is very immersed in the real estate news. We don't really know. We don't really know. The best advice of what happens during a pandemic and what can happen in our real estate market is what? March and April. It just happened. That's it. There is nothing in history that we can kind of lean on and say, this is the plan here. But we do know that the factors, the demand supply supply factors that we're going into are quite hot. Naturally, we got to really overcome that. But there are a few areas where that's not the case. But like the grandmas out there know, things can change very, very quickly. Like look at how we date these days, right? Gone are the days that people met through phone calls or through blind dates and they'd meet up for coffee at Timmy's, right? Now... There's a new site for senior dating and it's called, I've fallen in love and I can't get up. <laughs> I mean, don't shoot the messenger. Don't get mad at me because of the name. I mean, like, trust me, it's like, it's like 100,000 years better than the app before called Carbon Dating. <laughs> All right, so I told you guys we we're gonna talk a little bit about Vancouver and I think it's important globally. It's so fascinating how connected we are, our real estate markets. It's, it's as if we might as well be neighbors, right? The nice thing about Vancouver is it's dealing with a lot of the same factors that we are because they are also in Canada. Well, there's an article came out of Vancouver Sun and it's called Prices Are Going Up Again. What does this mean for the future of Vancouver's housing market? Well, I have a feeling they're going to tell us. (laughs) The Vancouver real estate industry reported another month of higher sales and prices in September and continues to defy dire predictions of a pandemic-induced downturn. Sound familiar? Yeah, same here. But some analysts point at fragile aspects of the market, such as, such as, and I would agree with this, such as, rising condo inventory and falling condo prices. I mean, I smile, but I smile at the opportunity. (laughs) The Canada Mortgage and Housing Corp has been a high-profile clash with some of the real estate industry over the predictions of double-digit percentage drop declines. And this has been a lot of fun. I'll tell you, it's been a blast reporting this feud between CMHC and places like Remax the Toronto Real Estate Board. And people that just straight up call them liars or saying they're Fear-inducing. It's been quite comical, but also very confusing if you're not listening to someone laughing about it, right? Now, with sales and prices rising, there continues to be agreement about a housing market cleaving in half, but disagreement about where this should leave. That cleaving in half, that separation, obviously is between condos and the free roll or, or the low rise, right? We, have, we all agree that that's happening. I think that's common, commonly understood now for everybody. The disagreement is what comes next. Which is the fun part? The overall housing market system seems to be divided in two, and this is where risks start to appear. So, what I want to kind of get out of these articles, as I'm reading through it, the 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 feeling, the aura, the sense that I'm getting is the threat that you are exposed to in the low-rise segment. To me, based on what I'm hearing, sounds like we've kind of said in the past, but very much clearly what I'm hearing here is the risk is gonna come from the condos. Like if you're gonna if it be exposed to a level of risk in your freehold investments today, it's because the condos stank so much and you stood too close and it stuck to your clothes. That's what's gonna happen. While prices are holding and rising, there are nuances such as falling rents, a growing preference for suburban over city locations and extended economic weakness that could hit the condo market and pull down other house prices too. Now we've seen huge problems in the rent space and that has overflowed a little bit into the buying and selling space in the condo sphere. Like fractionally, a fraction of what we experienced in the rental space overlapped into the condo space. Will it be a fraction of what happens in the condo space overlap into the low rise? I don't think so, but that's how it could work out, right? They say this, I think it's still too early to be doing the happy dance. Condo prices are declining while house prices are moving higher. And here's an important fact, guys. Yes, sales are up. Yes, prices are up. But this is why. The result is a higher average sales and price as a composition of home selling has changed. Because those those low rise, the the little tiny homes that are hardest hit in the downtown core are worth significantly less than the low rise. So even if all things were equal, if you have a slight increase in the low rise segment, now recognize condos were on fire last year and the low rise, not as much. All you gotta do is flip that. Even if you do an even flip as far as number of sales or number of houses go, your prices are gonna go through the roof because the dollar value of the transactions happening are so much greater when we we weigh it all out. Hopefully that makes sense. It's very much a mixed market and a potential fallout from deferred mortgages has yet to be realized as these deferrals are only beginning to expire. We've talked about people that are in the pre-power of sale, the power of sale worlds. And as we've had those conversations, we've realized this isn't gonna happen overnight. If If there are in fact a backlog of these power of sales coming on the market, it's gonna last all the way through and through 2021. And the reason is because we just can't keep up. We literally can't keep up. But I think Steve Saretsky, they had him have a comment here. And as I've dove into some of these numbers, which I'm gonna share with you, this very well could be the biggest threat to the condo space. What has it been so far? What has been my primary concern with the condo space? If you guys are listening to us for even a couple months, you know my thought has been rent, rental rates, rent, all these issues we've had with rents and people not paying their rents and evictions and all of these things, plus Airbnb and travel and immigration, all those things, yes. Yes, demand factors, demand factors. But maybe, maybe the biggest concern is new construction, supply factors. And we've talked a little bit about this balance. It's not just supply, it's supply and demand. We gotta get it on both sides. And as I'm hearing these numbers for the number of completions expected in the condo space, they are mind boggling. here we go with that tone set ready there will be a record number of new condo completions this year and next these are projects that were started during the building boom which began in 2016 well what happened in 2016 that started that well that was when there was a change everyone started getting a little bit more interested in condos for years before that people were saying you know what i don't want a condo i don't want to live in a little shoebox in the sky i don't want that But then all of a sudden, you got things like a stress test come in, right? You've got all of these things that are putting pressure on the low rise segment, which have been at this point classified as far overvalued, far overvalued. And affordability is an issue. And so all of a sudden, people start thinking, you will screw the low rise. We're gonna go to something a little bit more affordable. You're not gonna charge me 20. You're gonna charge me 20% if if I've got a property over a million bucks. Well, then screw the property over a million bucks. And people started jumping towards condos. This is what started and spurred on the pre-construction, which are finishing now. (laughs) Good timing. It's the key to any joke. Timing. Really skewed that one, but you get the, you get the idea. Okay. That new construction is finally completing at a time when condo demand has slowed. Ironic. So ironic. And the rental market has softened. These are obvious risks that are contending with the lowest mortgage rates we've ever seen in a sea of liquid liquidity provided by the bank of Canada. Hence the short to medium term direction of the market remains very much in flux. Now, this is just an idea, okay? We're gonna sit on the idea of pre-construction being a risk, okay? And, and we're gonna talk about numbers because that in itself isn't enough to convince me. But when you start hearing the numbers, like I'm gonna explain to you when we're talking about vacancy and, and rent rates and all of these things and what's coming on the market, I think it's gonna it's gonna shake you up a little bit. Meanwhile, we got employment, which I think is an important point, too, that came out of this article. This is a great article. Yes, it's talking about Vancouver, but we're talking about employment. We're talking national here. So as of September, employment in high wage sectors was about 3% above pre-pandemic levels. Wait a minute. Employment was up 3% than pre-pandemic? Yes high-wage sectors, but low-wage sectors are still about 7.5% below pre-pandemic levels. So if you were to think rationally about that, what would be most affected the people who are renting or the people who are buying? Of course, the people who are renting. And that is exactly what we see. I want to give you guys a couple Twitter posts before we move on to our next topic here. Just to put into perspective the risks associated with single-family detached homes. Number one, Ron Butler. I love this guy because, I mean, we've had Butler Mortgages on our show before. But I love the the realism. That's a the, the fun way of saying pessimism that comes from his twit tw- from his twits, <laughs> the Twitter fear, the Twitter's fears. All right, the tw- ah, Twitter's fears. See, this is this problem with my brain. <laughs> I got so many. Anyways, moving on. Has been so. This is what we say. The market has been purely end-user driven and may have pulled a bunch of buyers forward. We may have hit a point of unaffordability, very much like 2016. This is why I think it's fascinating. This last pop in sin, single-family detached pricing, mortgage rates may may stop dropping. We're going to talk about that shortly. All of these things are so connected. I love it. I love it. I love this guys I have so much fun. I don't know about you guys, but I have so much fun putting this together. if you like it, hit the like button and let, tell your friends man we're we're having a blast over here and even if it's just my grandma that listens to this podcast, I mean her and I we got some good dad jokes at the end. The only answer this Ron says is I have for quote will the condo price reduction virus spread is I don't know. and again, back to this question will it jump? from the condo space to the single-family space. Condo prices are dropping. Single-family prices are rising ridiculously high. There's gonna come a point where people just break and say, well, I mean, we were making a lot of money on condos last year. 20% increase doesn't sound so bad. You add on an extra 12 to 15% drop you saw in 2020. There might be some opportunity, right? Tyson Hishberger, I saw this comment. this was shared uh, among a few uh, large big wigs in our industry. Here's what he says this is just this is not every scenario, but this is a scenario, something that you probably haven't heard in the news. Detached homes in Waterloo, speaking specifically about Northfield, holds back offers for a week in a scalding hot market and received zero offers. Naturally, when there was no interest at the first price, they did the only logical thing and raised their price thirty thousand dollars. Does that sound like? a successful multiple offer situation? No, it's not. And Not only that, they didn't even try again. So in markets like Waterloo, these 905 and outskirt communities, these exurbs even are doing very well and yet you're holding multiple offers and now you have to bring the price back up because it didn't work? What do you mean it didn't work? Stories you don't necessarily hear, but maybe an indication of a change, not necessarily in drop in prices, but definitely of some kind of seasonality. People aren't showing up to some of the multiple offer presentations anymore. They're getting caught Napping. (coughs) Grandma. (laughs) I mean, you can't blame them though. Regular naps help to prevent old age, especially if you take them while driving. All right, let's move on. I want to talk about I really like this article, guys. I love numbers. I try to break up some of the numbers for you as we're talking on our podcast, but sometimes you just need the numbers, the raw data. And a lot of the articles spin from content like this. Urban Nation is a great source of of facts and stats, sometimes boring to read. But when we look at these stats, this is the clearest picture you're gonna get of what is happening with vacancy rates, vacancy meaning the amount of units in uh, let's say 100 buildings, how many of those buildings are sitting empty. So, right, and they're saying in this article, vacancy rates increased to nearly 3% in the former city of Toronto, being pretty much the downtown core, the, the tighter sector of Toronto. Well, that means that every 100 houses, three of them are sitting vacant, almost. Now, I want to start off talking about a few things. First, I want to start talking about the purpose-built units, and then we're going to talk about the outside units, the the existing units, the resale, the small investors, the ones that probably impact more of you. But I find it interesting because purpose-built rentals have been the ones that haven't been hurt as much. So you'd think the numbers would be better, but if that is the case, listen to this and you tell me if it's good. Urban survey of newer purpose-built rental apartments projected has been completed in the GTA since 2005 reported a vacancy rate of 2.4% in Q3. That was three times higher than Q3 2019, which was under 1%. It was 0.8%. So we've over three times in a single year on purpose-built rentals. And the first time vacancy rates surpassed 2% of the GTA in 10 years, first time over 2%. This is why prices have been as high as they are, rental rates. So some people would say, oh, rental rates are dropping. This is an opportunity. Well, maybe they're stabilizing because we've been on a high for the last 10 years. Within the former city of Toronto, that is representing downtown and midtown markets, vacancy rates increased to 2.8%. See the difference here? Already, and you're gonna see this kind of sprinkled throughout this entire chat here. The difference between old Toronto, right? The original Toronto The former city of Toronto, as they call it, and the rest of Toronto, already we see a discrepancy. Well, what about existing units that are still rented? Total occupancy in newer purpose-built rental apartments across the GTA, including recently completed buildings still in their initial lease-up, remained essentially unchanged from a year ago. So the units that were full, they're full. But... What about the new units? They're slower to rent. This is the problem with people putting their house, they are trying to sell it, and now they put it on the rental market, or they're on Airbnb, and now they're trying to put it on the rental market. This is that competition, that squeeze. They say this, within the four buildings totaling 988 units that reached completion so far in 2020, occupancy averaged 34%. Oh! Which compared to an average occupancy rate of 64% last year. So we should have two thirds of those units full, and we got a third of them full. That's half. for the eight projects totaling 3,100 units that reached completion in the same year to date, 2019. So there was way more units last year that completed at this point in the year. And the vast majority of them are full versus now there's less units and we can't even fill those. Woo! What about rent rates? What about the rates then? So we know about vacancy. As vacancy rates go up, prices should come down because there's a little bit more competition. You're getting a little hungry because you haven't had a tenant in that place for the last two months what you gonna give me? <laughs> well, it all equates to rent rates. Average monthly rents for units that became available for rent during the third quarter declined by 5.8%. However, some of the rent declines could be attributed to a decrease in the average available unit size. I think this is a valid point from t- to 740 square feet. Because the thing is, is it's not just about rents coming down. There's also the units are getting smaller. The new stuff you build, you can see. They're like, really? You live in that? Well, they were averaging 767 square feet. Now they're down to 740 from the year. And within a year, they dropped, what is that? Almost 27 square feet, right? In one year. Indicating the turnover has been relatively stronger for smaller units. The tiny homes, the tiny condos, we talked about that a couple days ago. Those are the ones getting hit. On a per square foot basis, rents declined by 2.5% or 2.4% year over year. But here's the difference. The former city of Toronto declined 9.3%. And the rents for the former Toronto were down 3.8% year over year on a square foot basis. So clearly, based on that average, the former city of Toronto, the closer you are to the downtown, the midtown, you've been hit the hardest. And you investors out there, you know this. You know this, because we've been talking about this on our podcast, but I love Urban Nation's way that they frame it and explain it. And one of the things that they point to here, this, again, purpose-built rentals, people entering the building, they've they've built these purpose-built rentals purpose-built rentals, they've been given incentives by the government to do it, and they think they're walking into a party. Well, now they have to give incentives. And they found that most rental buildings surveyed were offering incentives to attract new tenants, which mainly included one month of free rent, move-in bonuses, and to a lesser extent, two months of free rent. They're given freebies. They really are. And they say there's a wave of completions coming soon. Remember, we talked about the, the com- completions happening here. Well, what about the purpose-built rental side? listen to these numbers, guys. They're going to pop your brain. They really will. Surprise! <laughs> <laughs> a total of 5,200 5, some odd new rental units are scheduled for completion of GTA in 2021. So 52, just under 5,300. The highest level in more than 25 years and up, from 988 units this year. So we had 988 completions this year, which is low historically, but we're gonna jump all the way up to like what, six, seven times that in one year. Completions in the condo space may be the single biggest threat to condos right now. That is something I've put and I, you know what? That might be the case. It really might be the case. In other words, it might not be the best time to purchase a condo right now. Does that mean sell and dump your condo right now? No, but don't be jumping in on the deals I don't think yet. And so when we look at the rental market for non-purpose built, the GTA grew in transaction volume 39%. I'm just going to summarize it because we're doing a lot of numbers here. You know what? Let's actually drop down here. Rents, we talked about rents in the past, so we're not going to go there too much. But I do want to point this out. Downtown versus 416 and the 905. So if we're going outside the city, so we got 416 versus the 905. Average rents increased, increased 1.1% in both the outer 416 and the 905. While continuing to fall in the former city of Toronto, accelerated quarterly declines of 5%. That's the difference. That's the difference. The trend continues to be a push for people to the suburbs. Why work as a chief marketing analyst in Toronto for one of the banks or something fancy when you can be a senior director at old McDonald's farm? <laughs> Look, mom, I'm the C-I-E-I-O. <laughs> Oh, well, we're going to experience here the the steepest year-over-year declines in average square foot rent in areas like near UFT, near Ryerson. They're dropped 16.8%. That's crazy. East Bloor and Village, right? Downtown Core, 16%. Entertainment District, it's 15.9%. Drop City Place, 14.3%. The future of condos is... While it was encouraging to see the market increase in lease activity in third quarter as renters took advantage of recent discounts, the market will continue to face challenges heading into 2021 from restrained demand caused by COVID-19 and elevated supply levels. 2021 is not going to be fun. It's really not going to be fun. It's going to be great for deals, right? And this tells me it's too early right now again to snatch up an early condo. In fact, I saw a Twitter post from John Pasalis. I thought this was really cool. Just got an email from an agent offering a 10% commission. Real estate agents, listen up. A 10% commission for a condo assignment. A condo assignment. What kind of deal are you getting where the the buyer agent, the cooperating agent commission is 10%? Forget the discount With rents tanking and resale condo inventory surging, I suspect we'll be seeing more investors eager to unload their units. So the question is, is an assignment sale an opportunity right now? Yes, (laughs) apparently. And apparently the deals are getting sweeter and sweeter. You wanna jump on one of those 5,000 units coming in for even, that's just purpose-built rentals. I mean, there's gonna be a ton of, of inventory coming on the market. If you want an assignment deal, oh, here we go. Side note though, right? It's gonna, so what I'm saying here, Fun joke, because you know me, I like to sprinkle a little humor along the way. It's going down. The market's going down. So unless you're a kamikaze pilot, I'd sit out and I'd wait. And side note, if you're hiring a kamikaze pilot and they ask you about your pension, I'd move on. (laughs) Probably not very effective at that career. Go be a farmer somewhere. All right, let's do some hot topics. Uh, Some great stuff today. Lots Lots of juicy content. Lots of information for you investors out there. I know I'm learning a ton. Hot topic. Number one, we talked about city inspectors entering units. A couple of great comments. Marika Brown on YouTube. Slippery slope if they go inspect houses out of suspicion, but people deserve to pay a reasonable amount for rent in a legal suite. That is not asking much. And FP said they should inspect when the houses go up for sale. This whole conversation on should municipal workers, should people bylaw officers office be able to enter your unit without having a warrant, which isn't allowed right now, but the municipalities are asking for it. We need to be keeping our finger on that pulse because that'll have some serious implications. Also, we got a bunch of closures. We got, we got York. So they say starting today, but I think they, I guess it was today. It was either today or Friday. I can't remember, but there's some closures entering stage two. And all that came from a small threat from Ford. Well, the threat is now pointed directly at Oakville and Burlington, as well as Milton and Halton Hills. So they say this, I'm begging the people of Halton, please help me out there. I do not want to make that decision for Halton. The premier said, please follow the guidelines to the best of your ability. In other words, Halton, you're going into phase two. Pack your bags, right? That's Ford's MO. It's obvious. The moment a threat happens, it's almost guaranteed your city is next. That is, unless you have short-term memory loss. You guys don't remember that. And In my old age, I may have developed Alzheimer's, but at least I don't have Alzheimer's. <laughs> oh, Back to reality. We also have open houses closing here. We're not allowed to do them in these key areas, this, these hot spots of COVID. And TREB has given its, the stamp of approval to the country saying that, right? The government, I guess it's the government of Ontario. Who did that? Provincial announcement. They just said, yeah, we agree. Well, no duh, you agree. You already told people don't do it in the first place. So that all makes sense. Then I saw an article from the Winnipeg Sun. Waited, long waited. Effective rent relief is potentially on the way for businesses from the federal government. The timeline for this new rent assistance program for businesses is set to be in the middle of November. For any of you guys that are wondering when that's going to happen though, participating businesses will receive retro funding for October, assuming they survive past the first of next month. And a lot of people wonder that question, are they going to even pass? I mean, I would think you can get them through another month. If your landlord screwed you this far, just hang in there, Bessie hang in there. (laughs) All right. I also find it very comical. This is just for fun that there were two protests that took over downtown on Saturday. And then John Tory puts out a TikTok. <laughs> if you haven't seen John Tory's TikTok and you especially if you like TikToks, go watch that cuz it is really funny. It's like someone's just like, "Do this." And he didn't even smile. He's like <laughs> And then they put words on him. It's like, "You're don't worry, your graphic designer's got you covered. Don't worry, fam, you're good. Just put just just do this." <laughs> Uh, just point upwards. Okay, Huffington Post. Canada's renters finally catch a break, can now use rent payments to build credit. I did a podcast back on October 11th. Just wanted to remind you guys, we talked about this. The podcast was called Toronto's Real Estate Market Enters a Second Wave on a High. If you missed that one, the main thing here is I think it's interesting they're posting this in the Huffington Post, this idea that you're gonna be able to take the successful payments of renters and add it to Equifax. And so that would be good for good tenants. It would be bad for bad tenants. It'd be good for landlords as a way of motivating tenants to pay their rent, all of these things. And I know we talked about this a a while ago, but I think repetition in this case is a good thing. It's a good way for us to remember. It's a good thing to keep this in mind is probably something coming down the road. we all know there are three signs of old age. Number one, becoming forgetful. Moving on. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right, we're gonna get our last and final topic. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go through this one pretty quick, but I think it's very interesting. The article comes from Better Dwelling and it's called this Bank of Canada Ending Pandemic Program That Helped Real Estate Prices Surged. Well, that can't be good. Can't be good. This article came out on Friday, guys. On the day Canadian home sales and prices hit record highs, the central bank announced an end to the program partially responsible for the surge. The Bank of Canada flooded the market with cheap mortgage credit in March. Yesterday, as the market data showed a fever pitch had been reached during the worst recession in years, they committed to stopping the program. The bond buying program that helped drive rapid price growth comes to an end this month. Guys, this is a good thing. Let's just say that coming from a conservative guy like myself, g- guys, we can't have a buying, a bond buying program running forever. It's kind of like old age, right? In that <laughs> you're like, what <laughs> in that the best part is it doesn't last very long. <laughs> oh, Oh, moving on. So what is this mortgage backed securities thing? What is this mortgage backed Canada mortgage bonds, the CMBs? Lenders originate. I'm gonna. I'm gonna really explain this quickly. But you know what? No, I'm not even gonna explain it. I'm not even gonna explain it. They're called Canada mortgage bonds. They're 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 pumping the market with money in order to keep rates low. That's the key here. When the pandemic struck, the Bank of Canada treated CMBs like toilet paper and hand sanitizer by hoarding. They began buying them up on competitive basis, meaning they didn't just buy what couldn't be sold. They actively competed with bidders. They're entering this market and they're buying it up, buying it up, buying it up. And obviously with more demand, prices are going to like, this is an opportunity to drive rates lower. Normally in periods of increased risk, funding is supposed to become more expensive. This lowers the risk of losses to households borrowing. Instead, instead the bank of Canada did what they've never done before. They flooded the market with the cheapest money possible. Who cares what risks household face, right? Essentially, they provided a trap and inflated asset values as unemployment increased. One of the few times in history this has occurred. The Bank of Canada mortgage bond spree rose in one year by 1,710%. (laughs) That's 17, what is that? 17, I don't even know, 17 times? 17 times. This shows how how astronomically large the scale this operation was and understandably helped inflate asset values and that it did. But here's the key, guys. The Bank of Canada announced they'll put an end to their bond hoarding program. <laughs> I called it that. The central bank has notified investors they'll end their program on October 26th. Very soon. Very, very soon. Without a surge of deep investors looking for crap yields, this will likely slow mortgage rates from falling further. Remember we talked earlier about how interest rates aren't gonna keep dropping. Your bo- Your mortgage rates won't keep going down. This is why. They did inject a lot of liquidity. So an increase may not be in the cards for a while. However, there are still forecasting mortgage defaults will rise by multiples. The bank has always maintained. This would be the case in Q1 2021 rising through next year. Here are the takeaways that I get. Number one, expect mortgage rates to either definitely stop dropping, but maybe even rise based on these factors. I wouldn't be surprised if they come up until the spring anyways, in which case they need to be competitive. Therefore, we can expect that real estate demand would come down because as interest rates go up, your your cost of purchasing a property, your ability to purchase a property goes down. So the number of buyers out there goes down and the rates, the interest rates and the ability to purchase property being so cheap has been a very big factor from a lot of people's perspective. A lot of people have said this and why buyers are hitting our market. If that's the case, then this should have an impact on that. Anyways, I'm gonna leave it there. Make sure if you got this far in the video, you listened to all of it and you learned some good stuff today. Leave us down in the comments a little, you know, say hi. How's it going? Thanks for your show. Whatever you want to say. I love the jokes. (laughs) But definitely hit the subscribe button. Hit the like for more and uh, tell your friends about our show. I know a lot of the jokes about retired people, um, but uh, I know none of them don't work. Oh my God, that was so bad. Okay, that was a real flop. Here's the joke. (laughs) This is a bad bad time for this one too. I know a lot of jokes about retired people, but none of them work. (laughs) And I blow the punchline, right? So, you know what? I got, okay, reset, reset. Fix my tie. All right, we're going to close off with a poem. This is a poem to all our gray audience members out there. I'm going to call it Old Age Pensioner's Underwear. Here we go. Roses are red. Violets are blue. Ethels are green. <laughs> Whatever underwear you're, you're wearing today, folks, I, uh, I hope you guys have a fantastic day. And I hope you guys are getting lots out of our show. I know we had fun and I'll see you next time. Take care and keep it real.